morning to everyone listening to me online. Good morning to everyone that is here. Everyone's looking beautiful. Everyone's looking fresh. Everyone's looking summery. And we are ex- I'm very, very excited about this summer. I'm, I love summer. Even when I get sweaty, I love summer. So, um, so I definitely summer is, I, winter is not for me. Um, but yeah, uh, the last time um, I had the privilege of doing a sermon was earlier this year. Um, and I was staring at a screen. So I'm really grateful that we can, I can talk to people, not just a screen, not just a camera. So it's lovely to be here amongst people. Um, yeah, we're going to dive straight into the word of God. Um, we're going to start with a prayer. I'm going to start in the prayer and then we will just uh, dissect. I want to take you on a journey this morning. I want to take you from a journey that goes from Old Testament and then brings it back to the New Testament. But I really, really want you guys to really follow me on this journey because I'll be drawing some very important parallel, helping you understand exactly what God wants for us. Heavenly Father, we just want to give you praise. We want to give you thanks. We want to give you all the adoration. You're the I am that I am. You're the King of kings the omnipotent, omnipresent God. I just want you to speak today, Lord. I want you to speak today, Lord. I want to come down so that you can be lifted. Everything I'm going to say today, I want it to come directly from you. Use me as your vessel to minister to your children. Use me to change mind. Use me to transform souls. Let the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. And the children of God said, Amen. and the children of God said, Amen. and the children of God said online, Amen. 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 Good morning. Uh, the title of my sermon today is called Seat at My Table. Eat and drink a fresh glass. Seat at my table. Eat and drink a fresh glass. Don't worry, it's not going to be a dietary lesson, but please join me. Um, yesterday I was, on, I was on a conference and um, they were doing some health, healthy talk in a conference. It was a women's conference. I believe Pastor Grace was in that conference as well. Um, she probably doesn't know how I knew she was there, but she was there. Um, and they were talking about healthy eating. And they said, there's, uh, I think it's, it's a 50 gram of salt. We should be having only 60, 60 gram of salt a day. And when they showed it on a spoon, it was, it was a six or 60? Six gram, thank you. I'm glad you were there. 60, oh my God, six. You see, that's why I was good. I said she was, you know, right, six grams. And when I looked at the six gram, I said, wow, this is what I used to season rice. This is what I put in my rice. So it got me thinking a little bit about how I'm going to be cooking my food now. Uh, but it was, it, was, it was a very lovely conference. Um, but yes, uh, sit at my table, eat and drink a fresh glass. We're going to go into the book of 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Please follow me. I'm going to create some connections in the book of Samuel. From 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. We're going to start with... Uh, first Samuel, uh, second Samuel chapter nine, verse 11 to uh, 13. And the reason it says, then Ziba said to the king, according to all 
that my lord the king has commanded the servant. So your servants do. As for Mephibosheth, said the, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son called Micah. All of who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. I just want to ask a few questions. How many of you know who King David is in the Bible? Put your hands up. Show me. Tell me. Just put yes in the, in the, in the comment section online. Put your hands up if you know who King David is. Fantastic. Put your hand up if you know who Saul, King Saul was. Great. Does anyone know who Jonathan was? What was Jonathan's relationship to Saul? Son. Yeah, father, son. And what was Jonathan's relationship to David? Best friends. Does anyone know who Mephibosheth was? Mephibosheth. Anyone? Yes? Jonathan's son. Thank you very much, my sister. Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. And the story what we're going to look at today, we're going to explore the relationship that happened between King David and Mephibosheth, who was the son of Jonathan, and try to draw a parallel with the relationship that we have with God. With God. As you rightly said, Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan. And at the beginning of the verse that we just read, at the beginning, David was looking for someone to be kind to. Right? He was looking for someone. So, Second Samuel, verse, the same chapter, Second Samuel 9, verse 1 says, Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left in the house of Saul? We all know who Saul is, right? King Saul. That I may show, kind, for, show um, that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake. That I may show him kindness for Jonathan's, um, Jonathan's sake. Mephibosheth was the surviving son of the grand, and, um, and the grandson was the surviving son of Jonathan and the grandson of Saul. Now, if you've ever studied both books of Samuel, I, I really, really encourage you to go and study the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. And when you get the opportunity, dive into Chronicles as well, the two books of Chronicles. And you can really get a bit more depth and information from, from the story of David and, 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 his, and his ministry for, through his kingship. Right? Now, David and Jonathan. Jonathan is the son of Saul, King Saul. Jonathan was the son of King Saul, and Jonathan was best friends with David. They had a very special bond. They had a very unique relationship. People make assumptions about their relationship, but they had a very close-knitted relationship. And I will go through some Bible verses to help you understand that type of relationship that Jonathan had with David, where Jonathan had with David. Right, so the first one we're going to look at, we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1 to 4. It says, now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and as his whole soul. Whew. I don't know if anyone of you have someone that your soul is knitted with. I'm married, so I know who my soul is knitted with right now. But some of you might have friends that you know that they just understand you. That was the kind of relationship. They just, he just knew what the next step is going to be. Saul took, second um, verse 2 says, Saul, um, Saul took him that day 
and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. You know what's funny? They only just met as well. But you know what just happened before this particular verse? David just killed Goliath. David had just killed. So if you go through the book of Samuel, if you go and read chapter 7, chapter 1 Samuel 17, David has just shown the power of God in him. And all of a sudden, Jonathan went, mm, I like this guy. I want to be friends with him. I want to know. Because it doesn't make sense for someone so small to kill a giant. He said, nah, this guy is not just any guy. I want to know who this guy is. Understand? And, and, and it was so interesting because Saul himself, after that, after that defeat, Goliath's defeat, he was like, yeah, you know what? Come, don't go to your father's house. Come, I want to talk to you. I want to spend some time with you. And Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off his robe whew, that was on him and gave it to them. If King Saul, if, the, if Saul was a king, what was Jonathan? A prince? Someone said princess. Uh, no, it's not princess. It's prince. It was a prince. The prince took off his robe and put it on David. Whew. Let's go. Just, guys, just be holding on to some of these things. He took off his robe and, and he gave it to David. That was very significant. And it will make sense a little more later on. With his armor, even with his sword and his bow and his belt. You know what? It was almost like he was transferring what belonged to him to David. He was giving exactly what belongs to him to David. He was saying, listen, you're the guy. I'm giving you everything. Listen, take it. Take my, take my crown. Take, take it all. Take it all. And then further down the line in the book of Samuel, we begin to see a rift between Saul, King Saul, and David. There was a massive rift. There was a problem. It was, David, Saul was after David's life simply because the glory of God has left Saul and it was now upon David. First Samuel 20, chapter and verse 4, verse 1 to 4. Then David fled to Nioth in Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? What is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So Jonathan said to him, By no means you shall not die. My the king was after this life of David. And the king's son, the prince, is telling his best friend that, listen, as long as I'm here, you're not going to get touched by my father. Look at that assurance. That was how deep the relationship was. By no means you shall not die. Indeed, my father will not, will do nothing, ever great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide these things from me? It's not so. And David took an oath. I'm beginning to see a correlation. Every time they're together, there's always an oath, there's always a covenant, there's always a promise. Wow. Do you guys make oath with your friends? With people that you have, you know, do you have promise? Do you make promises to people? I mean, I'm sure you home, you do. I know Pastor Emmanuel is in promise that he's going to buy me a Range Rover. And I'm going to hold it on to him because our soul is knitted together. Not as much as my wife, though. My wife's got everything. She's got everything. <laughs> um... And then he said, and why should my father hide these things from me? It's not so. And David took a hope and said, your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he said, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. By truly, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So Jonathan said to David, 
whatever you yourself desire, I will do for you. That was, the, that was how deep the relationship was. Whatever you want. Remember, he's giving all his robe to him. He said, whatever you want, I will give to you. I will do it for you. And here we can see that David was so troubled because he was like, I'm going to die. The king wants me to, the king wants to kill me. I'm going to die here. There's no way. There was no way I'm surviving this. But guess what? Because of Jonathan, because of the relationship that he had, he felt assured. He felt assured. Now I want us to basically just begin to see again some of the dialogue between David and Jonathan and, and the assurance again give that, that Jonathan gave to, to, to David to say, like, listen, I'm with you wherever. First Samuel chapter 23, verse 14 to 18, it says, And David stayed in a stronghold in the wilderness and remained in the mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day to kill him, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So God was still with David. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness and Ziph in the forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. The father didn't know where David was. The son did. But guess what the son by right, should be telling his father, but guess what? It's not. There was something about their relationship. Do not fear, for the hands of my soul, of, of soul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even when father Saul knows that. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before God, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own voice. You know what's so important in that particular verse we just read? Do not fear for, my, for the hand of my father, so we're not finding you shall be king. The prince, the heir to the throne, said to David, like, as in, this, <laughs> I don't think you guys understand what just happened here. Jonathan was the heir to the throne. He said, you're going to be king. He's denounced. Did you, see, did you understand the idea of taking off his robe? Things that signify princehood? kingship, and he gave it to David. D Jonathan was so assured that the spirit of God had left his father. And you know what he wouldn't do? He wouldn't follow him blindly. Some of us have friends in our lives that we know they're doing the wrong thing, but guess what? We're going to be nice to them. I don't know what you get from them, but you're going to be nice to them. David, Jonathan was not ready to do that. He said, what? Listen, that guy is finished. You're the king. I'm you're the guy. You're the guy. And we'll find out later on that, listen, despite the fact that Jonathan knew there was no longer the prince, he still fought beside his father. He still showed obedience to the, to the crown. Despite the fact that he knew that his father finished, he still stood there. He did everything he needed to do by his father. So much so, he died with his father. We'll get there in a second. Jonathan acknowledged Jonathan acknowledgement only strengthened the relationship between himself and David. And when he eventually died, Bible records that David mourned for both Saul, Saul, Saul and Jonathan. They both mourned for Saul and Jonathan. 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11 to 12, it says, Therefore David took hold of his own clothes and tore them. And so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and Jonathan and his son. For the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because of the fall, their falling 
by the sword. But you know what's also very interesting? There was a covenant that Jonathan made to David, and this would then links back to why David was seeking to show kindness to someone in the house of David. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 11 to 15, it says, And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So both of them went out to the field, and Jonathan said to David, The Lord of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or to the third day, and indeed there is a good toward David, I do not send I do not send to you and tell you. May the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report to you and send you away that you may go to safety. And the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. As he has been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I'm still alive, that I may not die. But you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David's from the face of the So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, let the Lord require it that the hands of David's enemy. Require it at the hands of, the David, of David's enemy. Jonathan asks for David and says, please, no matter the situation, no matter the issues between you and my father, continue to show kindness to me when I'm alive and when I'm no longer alive. And that takes us back to 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. It says, is there anyone else in the house of Saul that I can show kindness to? David didn't have to. Mephibosheth's grandfather wanted to kill David. Ideally, ideally, by, by, by the tradition of that day, David should kill Mephibosheth because he's still in the bloodline of Saul. He should. But he chose to hold on to the covenant he made with his close friend, a friend that his soul was knitted. David was a man of valor, a man who could not do anything wrong. And he gave Mephibosheth an opportunity to reconcile with kingship. You know, once Saul was dead, there was nothing else for Mephibosheth to live for. So technically, David could decide and say, listen, cast him out. Do whatever you want to do to him. But no, he said to him, you shall continually, continually eat at the king's table. I mean, do you understand what it means? Back, back then, I don't know what it looks like now to eat with the Queen of, uh, Queen of England. I don't know what it looks like. I mean, I don't know what it was. You, you, need special, you need special invitation to be able to eat with, to die with the king, don't you? The, the Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. Back then, it was a special thing to, le- to literally dine with the king. Talk less of dining with your enemy. You, an enemy, dining with the king. David transformed enmity into kindness. And he showed it because he didn't want it to just be that. That Saul is dead, Jonathan is dead, that's it. He said, no, because of the covenant, because of the relationship I had with your father, I'm going to show kindness to you. I'm going to give you an opportunity for reconciliation. Mephibosheth could not dare step into the, into the, into, into the kingdom. He couldn't step anywhere near 
It wasn't, it wasn't. You know what's so funny about it as well? What's the last verse, the last, the last sentence we read in the, in the, in the, in the principal verse? And he was lame in both his feet. So therefore, David had no use for him. David, like, he's bringing him to the table. The, the, ideally, the people that will come to the table will be the David's son and perhaps maybe the, the top general in the, in, the, in the rank within the army. Those are the people that will come and eat on the table. But David is selling a lame. Someone who has no, someone who cannot walk. He can't carry anything. He can't go to war. He has no use for him. But because of the promises that he had made to his father, he said to him, come and eat at my table. Someone says, sit at my table. Sit at my table. Eat and drink a fresh glass. Today, what I want to do, I want to draw a parallel between the relationship between David and Mephibosheth. I want to draw a parallel between, our, between us and God. Believe it or not, we are lame in every aspect of our life. We are lame. But the king of the lame is saying to us, come and eat at my table. I want to remind you that the king of kings, the I am that I am, the omnipotent, is inviting you to come and eat at the table. Mephibosheth was worthless to David, but David still said to him, come and we are worthless in the eyes of God. But he's still saying to us, come and eat at my table. In your own way, we have become lame. Whatever it is, whatever it is that's drawn us away, whatever it is that's pushed us away, we've become lame one way or the other. And we've hidden ourselves from the presence of God. Mephibosheth was hidden from David. They could not, because they know by tradition what should happen to him. He was hidden. When David and Saul died, you know what they did? Verse, second Samuel verse, um, verse, verse 4. It says, Jonathan, Saul's son, had, had, had a son who was lame at his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came to Israel, and his nurse took him up and fled. So this was when they were I mean, do you want to, do I need to explain why they were running? Saul and David, Saul and Jonathan had just died. The, the person that is in charge that looks after him started running. Like, Listen, we know what's coming. Let's run. Let's leg it. You know, and, and it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. So even Mephibosheth was a victim of his circumstances. It's not a choice. He didn't, he didn't choose to be grandfather, grandson to Saul. But his lameness was a, vic he was a victim of his own circumstances. And just the same way Mephibosheth felt like he was not worthy to come and be at the table. Most of the time, some of us, will not, we feel like we're not clean, we're not good enough to go to the table, of, to come and dine with him, to come and talk to him, to come and speak to him, to look at him. We keep running. And when we run, we fall, become lame, and we still keep trying to run, we still keep trying to go, we still keep trying to get farther away from you, but the king of kings is telling you today, come and sit at my table. Your lameness is not enough for me to desert you. King David made a covenant with Jonathan. Similarly, just the same way the blood of Jesus Christ is the, is the, is the, is the, is the covenant that guarantees us the pass to the king's table. Once you are, once you give your life to Christ and say, listen, I trust in the Lord. You have a part. He's ready. He wants you to come and sit 
at his table, even though we are not worthy of being there. We are lame, we are filthy. We are unclean. David prayed a prayer. He said, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. We are not worthy to be. He wouldn't pray that prayer if he didn't realize that we are not worthy to be in his presence. That same chapter, he says, in sin did my mother conceive me. We were born in sin. We were born to sin. We were born blemished. We were born lame in our own different way. What is, what, is, what, what is it that, that's making you feel lame? That's drawing you away? If you're listening to me, I, I don't know what it is that's stopping you from coming closer to come and dine at his table. We're not worthy. In his dealings, in David's dealing with Mephibosheth, David exemplified God's grave to mankind. Mephibosheth received an unexpected blessing, not because of anything he did, but because David's faithfulness to the covenant and the promises he made. God, he made to Jonathan. God is willing to take you, is willing to accept you because of the covenant, because of the, the blood of his son that he shed on the cross of Calvary. Our iniquities and our transgression has made us unworthy to sit at the king's table. But by his stripes, we are healed. And if you remember PK's sermon a few weeks ago, he spoke about the three different healing we receive when we come to know Christ. Spiritual healing, physical healing, emotional healing. Jesus has paid the ultimate price. And for this reason, the blood covenant paid through Christ washes us as white as snow, therefore making us worthy to sit at the king's table. Are you going to sit at the king's table? Are you going to accept the invite to come and sit at his table. And if you do receive that, if, you, if, you, if you're going to take that invite, there are a few things that happen when we sit at his table. I don't know if you noticed when this title came on, it said part one, because if I continue, like, there's so many things we receive at the table of Christ. But I'm only going to give you two or three today, depending on time. I can already see my time is fast, but I'm going to give you a f- just, a f- just, a, just two. I'll give you two things that we receive when we come to the king's table. And for those of you taking notes, you might want to write some things down. This is your opportunity to take, write some things down. First thing we receive, we receive spiritual food. And I'm not talking a goosey. I'm not talking wacky. Eh? I'm not talking rice and kidney beans. Pun intended. It's kidney beans. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys have eaten rice and kidney beans. But rice and peas. They say rice and peas, but it's actually kidney beans. Meat. But never mind. Never mind. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about panda jam. I'm not talking about shepherd's pie. No, sorry. Cottage pie. Is it shepherd's bush? No. Shepherd's pie. That's it. That what British people. Yeah, that's Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, I'm not talking about wine and bread. Even though it's symbolistic, I'm actually talking about spiritual food. The type of food that when we eat, we shall never go hungry again. The type of food that we shall eat continually, just as David said to Mephibosheth, you shall continually eat at my table. The type of food that supersedes and goes beyond the world we live in. The type of food that guarantees eternal life. To understand the importance of spiritual food, I want to, let's go into the book of Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 38 to 42. Um, it says, now it happened that when, uh, that, that, that 
they went and he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into, into her house and she had a sister called Mary. I bet you know where I'm going to already. Who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his words. But Martha was distracted by much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do the serving alone? Therefore, tell her to come and help me. And Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will never be taken from her. When you eat spiritual food, it will, there's nothing that will take it away from you. There will be more parts to this sermon, sit at my table. There will be more parts, and we shall be diving into different aspects of what we get at the table. But this particular way, he says, receive the food. I have to, you and I will conclude. When I conclude later, you will understand a little bit more about why it's so important to have spiritual Because even Jesus wanted spiritual food in order to be able to carry out the ministry that he had on earth. The second thing that we receive when we sit at the table is we receive living water. The Samaritan woman is the best story to explore this. John chapter 4, verse 9 to 14. Then the woman in Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me? And Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is, who, is, who says to you, Give me a drink, you, shall, you, you would have asked me and you would... You would have asked me, and it would have, it would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then you get this living water? And you greater than other father, are you greater than Father Jacob, who gave us well, this well, and drank from it himself, as well as his son, his livestock? Jesus answered to her, Whoever drinks of his water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give to him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become like a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Ask yourself this question. Whose fountain are you drinking from? Are you drinking the water that will make you thirst again? Or are you seeking the type of water that will never make you thirst again? To think deeply, it's so important to understand. Some of us are drinking water from the fountain of our family. We're drinking from water from the fountain of our friends, of our colleagues. And we realize that it's not solving the issue. When God is saying, come and sit at my table. You're not lame enough for you to see. Listen, you, there's nothing stopping. Come and sit at my table and drink living water. The Bible says in John chapter 7, verse 30, um, 7, verse 38, it says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Well, you know what's all interesting? The verse that preceded that particular verse was so deep. John chapter 7 verse 38 and verse 37. It says, on the last day, that great day of the feast 
when you're having a feast, we're talking about food, right? We're talking about loads of food, right? What do you have to put that food on? A table. He said, on that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone first, let him come to me and drink. Who are you going to get your water from? Who are you going to get your living water from? Those who believe in Christ will not only eat, they will drink from the fountain of Jesus. They will be satisfied. You will, listen, it's, Jesus' fountain is the only way where you can get satisfaction. No matter how good the water, even water, how good it say it tastes, or smart water, no matter whatever they want to call it, it's never going to be like the living water that comes from Jesus. But you know what's funny? That's not it, you know. That's not it. When you drink, when you drink, you yourself will become a river. You will become a river. And out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Those who believe in Christ, those who believe in you, you not only will drink, but you yourself will become water and you will flow. And you will flow. To conclude, let's just go back. Let's go back to John chapter 4, verse 28. Let's, we're not going to read from verse 20. So in John chapter 4, we know there was the relationship about the water, about, about, about the drink. And Jesus is saying, come to me, the water I'm going to give to you, fountain of water that you will never thirst again. John chapter 4, verse 28. It says, the woman then left the water point, went her way into the city and said to the men, Come and see a man who told me all things that I've ever did. Could this be the Christ? Once she tasted of the water, she went to everyone. She went to her town and said, look, I have seen the Christ. I have seen the one that the Old Testament has been talking about. Then they went out to the city and came to him. They went. They didn't know about him, but this woman tasted of it, went out and brought more. She became the river and brought more flowing to get more fountain of water. And this is where it gets interesting. It says, in the meantime, so we're now moving on to another step now. In the meantime, his disciples urged him and saying, Rabbi, eat! Because they probably saw that he was tired, he was thirsty, you know, and he wanted to, so he actually wanted water. But he's saying that, listen, the water you're drinking, you thirst again. But this water that I have, you never thirst again. But now they're saying that he's hungry. But he said to them, I have food to eat, which you do not know. And it's not pounded yam. And it's not wake. It's not rice and beans. Rice and peas, rice and kidney beans. It's none of those things. Therefore, his disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? I know some churches where they always bring food at the end of the service. Jollof rice, fried rice, you know. But he said, no. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. When you come to the table and you sit and you take a seat because you believe that you have there, that you, you, nothing should stop you from enjoying the princehood, the kingship that God has presented for you, the table that is presented. Once you're ready to eat, you will eat. But you're not only just going to eat normal food. You will eat food that will allow you to be able to feed others. 
Do you not say there will be still four months and then comes the, uh, the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he will reap, receive wages, and gathers fruit for eternal life. For both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and one reaps. And finally, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. When you sit at the table, the food you eat, the water you drink, the food is not just for you. It's for you to go and feed other people. What are you doing? With what? Some of us are eating already. But we are eating and we are becoming bellyful. And we are saying they are just getting, and they were just adding more calories. What are you? Go and burn that calorie out. Get out there. Go and be the river that will flow, that allow people to be able to come and sit at the table. I'm going to round up with an analogy. And I hope it makes sense. If it doesn't, let me know. When we come to the table, we come blemished. We come in sorrow. We come shamefully. We come with sin. We come unclean. We come with, with problems that we feel like no one can solve it. We come with our issues. But God is saying to me, listen, when you come to my table, you're going to eat spiritual word. But not only that, I'm going to fill you up with fresh glass of water. I'm going to fill you up so much that you would know that he is king in your life. But you know what's so funny? Is it enough? For us to drink? Is it enough for us to just drink? Is it enough for us to just take the glass of the fresh glass? It's not enough. It's not enough. Because once you drink water from the fountain, you become a river that flows, that flows, that flows, that flows. And Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He make me to lie down in green pasture. He lead me to the still water, he restore my soul. He lead me to the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, the rod and the staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Thou anointed my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord. When you flow, you're going to overflow so much that you will spill onto other people. You will spill into more people. There will be more people receiving from you. But you know what's so funny? In economics, we have something called positive externality. If you study, if you ever study economics, you know what I'm talking about. Positive externality. You might think this is all that you've done. But I promise you, the remnants are the people that would receive. When I touch and I let my river flow to Tarisai, she would then touch 
dirty and dirty will now touch. My intention is to let the river flow to Tarisai. But unintentionally, it then flows to the people that it will connect to. And that's what God has to you. He's asking you, come and sit at my table. Eat and drink a fresh glass. Every Lord, I just want to thank you. I want to glorify your holy name. I want to thank you because you're well. We've dined with you today. We've eaten your spiritual food. We've drank from your fountain. And we know we'll never hunger again. And we'll never thirst again. But that's not enough. Teach us to use the food that we've eaten and the water we've drank to flow across to the rest of the world. Teach us to evangelize for your name. Teach us to remember that just as David invited a lame person, Mephibosheth, the son, the grandson of his enemy, to come and eat, teach us to remember that you are calling us regardless of our problems, regardless of our situation, regardless of every single thing that is causing us to doubt whether or not to come to you, that is questioning our mindset to come to you. Teach us to remember that at your table we will eat and we will drink continually. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, and our Redeemer, we pray. And if you're listening to me, if you're under my head, wherever you are right now, listening to me on, this, on, on the screen, on, 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 on YouTube, listen to me right here, right now.